This is Africa News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Africa News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on Africa News Tonight... To be able to increase portable water supply and also to be able to cover an existing gap of 900 latrines and to be able to improve waste management in the camp as well. That was Helen Engo with UNHCR in Cameroon on the cholera outbreak there. Details coming up also. In Ethiopia, there's been new fighting as peace talks get underway. In Nigeria, there is a new warning of possible terrorist attacks. We'll have these stories and more ahead on Africa News Tonight. We start with our top story. Authorities in Cameroon say they are struggling to contain a cholera outbreak in an overcrowded refugee camp on its northern border with Nigeria. In the past week, three people have died in the Minawa refugee camp, and at least 81 have been infected from the bacteria which spreads through dirty water and food. The camp was designed to hold fewer than 15,000 refugees, but currently has more than five times that number. Moki Edwin Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé, Cameroon. The camp, located on Cameroon's northern border, is home to 76,000 Nigerians who have fled Boko Haram terrorist attacks. Helen Go, spokesperson for UNHCR Cameroon, says the UN body needs support to contain the ongoing wave of infections and to prevent future outbreaks in the refugee camp. In Minawao, specifically, UNHCR needs um, at least 450,000 US dollars to be able to increase portable water supply and also to be able to cover an existing gap of 900 latrines and to be able to improve uh, waste management in the camp as well. All of these needs are extremely urgent at this point. UNHCR says it is investigating suspected cases and treating patients free of charge. The refugee agency says it is also finding out if the disease has spread to host communities. Ngo said several hundred humanitarian workers have been deployed to the camp and host communities to educate refugees on prevention measures which she said are basically respecting hygiene rules. Nigerian refugee Special Bulama is among aid workers raising awareness about the outbreak and teaching civilians good hygiene practices. Bulama says he has personally spoken about the disease to scores of families in the camp. We are telling the refugees to take care of themselves. They must boil water before they take. They must wash their hands with sabulu, keep their latrine very safe because flies can take this disease to the food or to the water. We are telling them to help us to avoid this problem of cholera. Cameroon's Ministry of Public Health has confirmed the outbreak. Government health officials say at least 22 people have died of cholera in several villages on Cameroon's northern border with Nigeria and Chad. Humanitarian workers and health officials say many more people may be infected or are feared dead in difficult-to-access villages within the past two weeks. The UN reports that up to October, 
more than 1,000 cases of cholera were reported in Nigeria. Cameroon says hospitals in border localities are overwhelmed. Officials in Cameroon say they are engaged in discussions with Nigeria and Chad to jointly combat cholera, a bacterial infection that causes severe diarrhea and dehydration, usually spread through contaminated water. It can be fatal if not treated. Moki Edwin Kinzuka for VOA News, Yawundi, Cameroon. Guinea became the second country hit by a recent coup d'etat in West Africa a little over a year after Mali's military junta overthrew that country's democratically elected ruler. Since then, Burkina Faso has, been, has seen two coup d'etats in its own. I talked to Aristide Sidebe, a West African political analyst, about the direction these Sahel countries are embarking on moving forward. All right, thank you for having me. Uh, the latest in Mali is, is more about the draft uh, of the new constitution. And uh, Mali is trying to go back to civilian uh, ruling. So what, what is happening is that uh, the current constitution uh, of Mali is uh, mimicking the French constitution in 1948, uh, I mean, uh, uh, 58, and that uh, give a lot of power to the president. And uh, it does have uh, a parliament that basically can be dissolved by the president. But with the new draft, the president no longer dissolved the parliament, which has two houses now, as opposed to the current one. The change they seem to be making as well is parliament will not be able to dismiss the government as well. So in, in the expert that drafted the constitution, that constitute a big shift. But nevertheless, there seem to be a lot of people saying that uh, there are some part of the constitution they want uh, to be changed. To be amended, yes. Uh, yes. How, about, how about Mali's foreign minister, uh, Abdoulaye Diop, actually accusing uh, France uh, of providing uh, material to criminal groups, destabilizing the civilian population? Uh, what is uh, the exact relationship now between Mali and France? I mean, the... The relationship with, between the two countries has been uh, very difficult lately. And interestingly, although uh, Foreign Minister Job had that uh, speech at the Security Council uh, latest meeting about Mali, but when you survey uh, the press in Mali and, and talking to people on the ground, people have turned the page. Uh, they, they don't talk about friends much because there's a lot of Think Malians are more worried about. Like I said, the, the new draft of the constitution is something that people are really focusing on, and the price of food, those are things that people are more focused on. And if you listen closely to the foreign minister after uh, the meeting uh, during a press conference, he even said that Malians do not want to talk about the relationship with France anymore because they want to focus on the issue they have on hand. Can you shed a light on the Russian connection, uh, this thing they call the Wagner Group? I mean, Mali government, transitional government, has denied consistently the relationship or the lack of between uh, Mali and the Russian uh, Wagner Group. And Mali authority claim every time they have the opportunity that the relationship they have is government to government. Now, when you ask people, they want security. They tell you, we don't care about who our allies are. 
we we are tired of our kid, wife, husband dying every day. We want people to give to help us with a solution. So it is not a debate uh, in Mali, and Mali is a country that I uh, extensively travel to, and that uh, people really do not worry about the Wagner Group as the press in the Western world seem to suggest. Uh, Burkina Faso and Guinea, any comments on those two Sahel countries? Yes, uh, interestingly, uh, in, in, in Guinea, the ECOWAS representative uh, seemed to have, have a deal with the government with a transition period to be set for 24 months, which is two years. But there was a letter press release from the commission heading that ECOWAS entity that stated that they still need to work out some detail. As far as Burkina, the new head of state appointed a prime minister who's saying that he will have uh, a government with less than 25 members and the government will have to, uh, the country have to live within his means. And they talk about diversifying the partner they need to to fight terrorism, which suggests that uh, uh, the relationship with France uh, may follow some kind of way the Malian model. That was Aristide Sidebe, a West Africa political analyst. He talked to me from the U.S. state of Texas. The United States and Britain on Sunday warned of a possible terrorist attack in Nigeria's federal capital, Abuja. The U.S. and British missions said such attacks could target government buildings, places of worship, and schools. Other places mentioned are shopping malls, law enforcement facilities, and international organizations. Nigeria's top security body, the Department of State Services, or DSS, has reacted to the security alert and asked Nigerians to be calm but vigilant. David Awarawo is a professor of international relations and strategic studies at the University of Lagos. He is also the head of Department of History and Strategic Studies at the university. He spoke to reporter Mike Mbonye about the security alert raised by the U.S. and British missions in Nigeria. He says the security alert will assist the Nigerian government respond to threats in the country. The warning is uh, is in order. Uh, the United States and the United Kingdom are, are not countries that are given to releasing information not based on you know serious intelligence. So um, it's in order because uh, uh, it will guide the Nigerian government's response and their actions uh, so that uh, uh, whatever some criminals and terrorists are planning. Uh, the government will be able to, you know, respond effectively and ensure that uh, uh, it will not happen. Uh, so, uh, in Nigeria, we are happy that uh, we are getting information uh, like that because uh, uh, it's actually through intelligence that one is able to actually combat uh, terrorism. All right, sir. The warnings also said that such attacks could take place at uh, government buildings, places of worship, and schools. What should be done in this regard by Nigeria's security uh, operatives or agencies? They need to. They need to uh, try to get some. The Nigerian government needs to try to get. I, I would imagine that the information that the UK and US governments have put out is a general one, and that the, the, the interaction with the Nigerian government, more specific uh, information, will be provided. 
Uh, intelligence sharing is a part, is an important part of uh, bilateral relations, especially in this era of uh, uh, expansion of terrorist activities. Um, so, uh, the information that will be given to the Nigerian government, I would imagine that uh, Nigerian government will be the Nigerian government will share it across uh, uh, across the security uh, agencies and forces, uh, such that they will be they will step up um, the security in all those places in schools in place of worship, in government buildings. Um, and uh, they will they will show that uh, uh, you know, they are able to pin down where, you know, these uh, threats are coming from so as to, you know, prevent it from, from, from taking place. We recall that when the Nigerian prison in Abuja was, uh, the prison in Abuja was uh, attacked a couple of months ago, we also, you know, intelligence that was presented, but the, the, the agencies didn't uh, follow through with intelligence. And it came to be just exactly how the intelligence was presented. So we would uh, expect that this time around, they will be more serious. They will step up security in those places uh, so as to ensure that uh, the attacks do not take place. That was David Awarao, Professor of International Relations and Strategic Studies at the University of Lagos. He spoke with reporter Mike Mbonye on the telephone from Lagos, Nigeria. Today in South Africa, peace talks began between the Ethiopian federal government and the leaders of the Tigray People's Liberation Front in an effort to end their nearly two-year-old war. So far, little is known about the meeting in South Africa. A short time ago, I spoke with reporter Tuso Kumalo in Johannesburg, who's been chasing the story. The talks here are shrouded in secrecy. I think that's the first thing that we should say, because... Uh, I've tried to get a statement from the international department here uh, as to where the talks are taking place, what time, and who is attending, according to the reports that we got. But the response that I got to them was very mute. Uh, if I can quote uh, their uh, public diplomacy uh, officer, Klesio Moniela, this is what he said to me. I quote, he says, the Department of International Relations has not issued any media statement on this matter, Please check with the people who communicated about the talks. Uh, obviously, uh, trying to distance his, his department from giving any statement or any hint about these talks. But what we know for now is that um, uh, the Tigrant Forces uh, spokesperson, Kimbea, uh, tweeted that uh, his delegation has arrived in South Africa, so they are here according to that tweet. And, of course, the Ethiopian government uh, issuing a statement that uh, their delegation was leaving uh, Ethiopia, uh, uh, heading to South Africa this morning. So what we know for sure from this statement is that they are here, but as to where they are, when they arrived, we don't know. And surprisingly also, we are not even sure if uh, uh, former uh, Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta is here, who is supposed to coordinate this, to facilitate the talks on behalf of AU and as well as the, the Nigerian President Oluseka Nubasanjo. So everything for now is just as to what the statement was heard from these two parties, but the authorities here have refused to confirm anything. So uh, is there any clue as to when we will have word about the meetings? It's likely we all expect that by tomorrow we might have something, because considering that um, uh, there are former presidents here, obviously they move around with security. Uh, as since authorities are not, seem not to be prepared to give out any information, we likely either to see the motorcade or something. So everyone is expecting that by tomorrow we might know uh, who is here and uh, who is facilitating and if ever the talks have already started at all. 
Our reporter in Johannesburg, Tuso Kumalo, on the planned peace talks between Ethiopia and Tigray forces. Thank you for your input. Thank you. As we just heard, peace talks between Ethiopian government officials and representatives from the leadership of the Tigray People's Liberation Front were to begin today in South Africa. Just ahead of the talks, Ethiopian federal forces took two more towns in Tigray, previously under Tigrayan forces control. Fred Harter reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Humanitarian sources told VOA that federal Ethiopian troops and allied Eritrean forces have taken control of the towns of Aksum and Adwa, the latest in a series of setbacks for forces led by the rebel Tigray People's Liberation Front. Tigrayan forces retreated from Adwa after suffering heavy losses, one of the sources said. Last Tuesday, pro-government forces captured Shire in northwest Tigray, a major urban hub that hosts hundreds of thousands of people displaced by two years of fighting. The government has vowed to take control of the Tigray region's airports and federal institutions. The news comes as negotiators for the federal government and the Tigray forces arrive in South Africa for peace talks convened by the African Union. Diplomats have urged the parties to agree to a ceasefire, with US Secretary of State Antony Blinken sounding the alarm Friday over reports of significant loss of life, destruction, indiscriminate bombardment and human rights abuses in northern Ethiopia. More than half a million people have been displaced in northwest Tigray alone since fighting resumes on August 24, with tens of thousands more uprooted in the neighbouring Amhara region. Fred Harter for VOA News, Alice Ababa, Ethiopia. For more on the peace talks, my colleague Carol Van Dam spoke with Paul Nanatulia, a, research with the, a researcher with the Centre for Africa Security Studies here in Washington. The reason why there's a, a, a lot of secrecy surrounding these uh, discussions is because uh, there are very many sensitivities uh, involved. The first is uh, Ethiopia in its capacity as the seat of the African Union. Uh, that in itself is, 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 is a complicating factor because there is a deep aversion within the African Union for member states uh, to essentially intervene uh, in Ethiopia's uh, uh, a crisis where Ethiopia is a party to a conflict that is taking place on its territory. That is always very, very uh, dicey and very sensitive. And so you're not going to see the African Union play the sort of forceful role, for instance, that it played in Gambia. Uh, then you have the African Union. There are complications around, around the African Union effort uh, because the, the TPLF, uh, and the Tigray uh, community uh, more broadly, the Tigray political elite, are highly suspicious uh, of the African Union, in particular uh, the special envoy uh, uh, Obasanjo. And the source of that tension is the controversial elections uh, that were held amidst this crisis. Um, and, you know, the U.S. involvement should not surprise us, and uh, U.S. diplomats being being in Pretoria, if they are in Pretoria or anywhere else in South Africa, should not surprise us because the U.S. is engaged, uh, just as the EU, uh, just as, uh, as 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 African Union and and, and 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 other countries. So it shouldn't surprise us that the United States is really really pushing for a solution to this crisis. The uh, Ethiopian military and their allies, including the Eritrean troops, are in a stronger position now than the TPLF on the ground as they captured several large towns in Tigray in recent days. What does that mean going into these talks? Well, uh, clearly, uh, you know, one of the things we tend to see in uh, these sorts of conflict resolution processes, you know, you tend, when, when the government is a protagonist, uh, you know, you tend to see ahead of uh, major talks, 
you tend to see efforts by government forces to secure as much territory as they can so as to strengthen their negotiating position at the table, at the negotiating table. What do you see are the chances of the two sides? There's other parties at the table, but what do you see the chances of these two sides reaching a negotiated settlement right now? Uh, there would have to be significant, significant external pressure by external powers, by external actors in Ethiopia, uh, because right now, uh, left on their own, neither side believes that it can secure its political objectives of the negotiating table. This is just a fact. That was Paul Nanatulia with the Center for Africa Security Studies here in Washington. He spoke with VOA's Carol Van Dam. Startups and small and medium-sized enterprises are changing the way Africa does business through innovation and technology. From agriculture, telecommunication, health, and so many sectors, young entrepreneurs are infusing vibrancy and energy into the African economy. Big business is watching and ready to support. Through the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and its prestigious partners are providing cash awards and mentorship support to three of Africa's top innovators chosen from 17,000 candidates from 50 countries in North, Central, East, West, and Southern Africa. The Voice of America interviewed the top 10 candidates from where the finalists will be picked. Here is one of them. My name is Imadre Abiyara. I'm a medical doctor. I'm co-founder and CEO of Health Botics Limited, the creators of Lendanon. I'm 28 years old and I'm from the state here in Nigeria. I applied to the 2022 Africa Digital Innovation Competition because of my belief in the U.S. Chamber of Commerce as they were one of the first organizations that helped us and gave us uh, support back in the early days of our pilots. What it means to me to be one of the top 10 finalists is a testament to the incredible amount of work that my colleagues and I have put at Lendonarm. Lendonarm being one of the top 10 innovations at this competition means that conversation is changing. People are now paying attention to what happens at the last mile of healthcare delivery. And that makes us very happy. And Lendonarm is a single turnkey solution for hospital procurements at the last mile. So typically what would happen would be that hospitals would interface with almost five, six different agents before getting their procurement needs every single month. Lendonarm is a solution that centralizes that entire process, allowing hospitals to get all of their required inputs from a single access point. We source and procure and deliver to their doorstep. Stockouts are the single most common cause of mortality in primary health care. Stockout of drugs, oxygen, blood, and essentials like that. These are the problems that Lendonam specifically tackles. The hospitals we support see an average of 1,500,000 patients in a year, about 20 to 30 patients every day. And when you add that together, that's over a million patients every year that these hospitals see. What's the first thing I would do if we win the competition? That's very interesting. I'll probably call my co-founder, share the good news with them, and probably call my parents as well. But most importantly, I would be sure to inform our current customers that their plights and the solution we're providing to that has gotten international recognition and support from the people who really matter. 
That was Imo Doe Abioro from Nigeria. His company, Lend an Arm, uses a mobile application and 24-7 call center to serve as a logistic for medical facilities around Nigeria. The company is one of the 10 finalists in the Africa Digital Innovation Competition for African Startups, organized by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce's U.S. Africa Business Center. And that wraps up this edition of Africa News Tonight. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Barrow, and our engineer, Zubair Al-Taib, thanks for choosing the Voice of America.